0: We're back, and we have something very special for everyone this week, and I'm just going to jump right into it because I'm very excited, and I don't want to be like, hey, Taylor, let's chat a bit, and then like, hey, guess what? We got somebody else here.
1: Also, you better be excited given who this is, okay?
0: Yeah, so we have (laughs) our first guest on this podcast, Lindsay Telg, my wife, and we'll get into more about what she's here to talk about in a few minutes, but... First of all, I just wanted to introduce you to our listeners.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Honored to be the the very first guest on the podcast. (laughs) Yes.
0: And like we said on the the last episode, we're still figuring out sort of the rhythms of some of these alternative styles of doing a podcast episode instead of just being like really prepared. Let's talk about our bullet points that we came in with. Uh, this is going to be more like a, a fluid conversation. and um, It's an
1: organic podcast. Exactly. An organic <laughs> feel. organic farm.
0: So the way that we do this, Lindsay, because I don't know if you've actually listened to this podcast before or <laughs> so not. So full
2: disclosure, I have not listened to your podcast. <laughs> That's, That's even better. <laughs> um, but I, I have the sense that you prime some of your conversation topics around the dinner table with me. So I feel like I probably... Uh, mm-hmm. I probably have a sense of what shows up on the podcast, well, let's just yes. be
0: honest. I mean, if you had to listen to me talk your whole day every day, I mean, would you want to choose to listen to another hour of it in your free time? I'm glad
2: you said it not me if i if I have a podcast window i I prefer some brene brown to to more Brandon Teg, but <laughs>
1: That is so good. This is this is awesome.
0: So the reason I ask is that the first thing that we do is we usually check in, see how we're all doing, and I'm going to start this by asking Taylor, how are you doing?
1: Well, right now I'm loving this moment between the two of you. So I'm doing <laughs> really, really well. Gosh, yeah. I feel like, you know, every time we record these, there's like an answer that is very pandemic driven, I feel, which is hyper relevant. But I want to sort of celebrate what I think has been beautiful this week, which is like the fake out fall weather that we get in Mm, Gainesville in September. Like, you know, it's not really real and it's not really fall and it's going to be 95 when you wake up the next week. But it's just been so that's been a nice fake out for me. And then I'm also stoked because my daughter Pepper and I have uh, a lady date today. And so she is actually in the studio with us right now. And I masked for anyone who's judging right now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I'm happy to have her be a part of this. I think it's important for our kids to see slices of our lives that we usually do without them. And so it feels very special to have her here.
0: We yeah. would love to have our son with us, but there's no way that we would get through this conversation without being interrupted. <laughs> well, same a few with my times, son. Too, to be fair, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. That's I already true. said the dials would be such a distraction. He would he would turn all of them and right. They'd never never get the levels. Recover. So go from really
0: <laughs> quiet to
1: really loud. All yes, of a yeah. he would love it. He would love it.
0: So, Lindsay, how are you doing?
2: I'm great I'm excited to be here I appreciate what Taylor said about kind of trying to avoid those or feeling like your answer is always pandemic driven always, but yeah um, on Friday I had the chance to do something uh, professionally and personally that was really kind of meaningful I got to step back into a role I haven't had for about 10 years with with UFOt and uh, lead a board retreat for the students who run the student clinic that I helped found. Sorry to interrupt. For those who don't
0: know, what does UFOT mean?
2: So that's the University of Florida Occupational Therapy Department. And the EAC is the Equal Access Clinic, which is a network of free clinics that provide uh, medical primary care, specialty care uh, for Gainesville residents. And so I got to step back in and and be a part of that. I haven't been in a number of years. Um, You know, kids and marriage and life kind of took me away from it for a while. And so it's really great to be back doing that and kind of back in that role. Mm, that's awesome, Lindsay. Yeah, I'm kinda of riding that high of like a good board retreat, a good meeting, where yeah. things went the way you hoped they would.
1: Yeah, that's really satisfying. It's fun when that does like last a few days of just yeah, of riding the high. That's really yep. cool. Yeah.
2: Well,
0: I, I feel that too, when the oh kind of overwhelming sensation that I've been thinking about when I say, okay, well, what am I going to have to talk about during my little check-in section is, um, <laughs> the fact that I've had an opportunity to be around people a couple of times this week, mm-hmm. earlier this week, I spoke in Taylor in your class about identity capital. If you so want to know what I said, I mean, you can go back a couple podcast episodes and hear <laughs> a lot of <laughs> it. There was a
1: summary in that episode, <clears throat> yeah.
0: But, um, this was my first time speaking in front of people in any capacity, like in a live setting since before the pandemic Mm. started, you know, I teach as part of my job and everything that I have done has been on zoom or, Mm -hmm. or some other form of online communication. So this is my first time teaching or speaking in public in over a year. And it was really wonderful to be in the same room as people and see their reactions as we're, you know, as we're going through the material together Mm And then last night, I was able to see a concert at Heartwood Soundstage outside. A lot of people were there. I had a couple of awkward conversations with people that I hadn't seen in a long time. Not, not awkward in a bad way, but just kind of like, it's clear that I am still having a hard time readjusting yeah, to communicating with other people. Yeah, thank you for saying with that. Other That's people. so real. We had one of those like, is that is that you? Because you could only see your <laughs> right, eyes and it course. was nighttime. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And somebody said. And now
1: that it is you, I don't know how to talk to you. Somebody said, "I thought
0: your hair was a lot darker." And I said, "Yeah, this last year has really done a done some damage on my hair, both color and amount of it." But um, but being around people in both of those settings was really powerful for me because it reminded me that I need to be doing that. Mm -hmm. Like I need to be around people. It brings back a little bit of my faith in humanity yeah. when I get to see people doing things that they care about. Yeah. That's a big value for me. And um, we were getting our toes back into it. And then everybody went back in their holes for right. you know, yeah. safety reasons. And it kind of showed me that I need for myself to find safe ways to continue to be in community with other people, right. you know, or else, you know, I, it doesn't go well for me. <laughs> yeah. So I, it was really nice to be, to do both of those things in community.
1: That's so cool. Yeah. And it sounds like maybe kind of riding the high from that experience, like Lindsay had on Friday of just those moments have like lasting effects of how powerful they feel. I mean, even having you As our guest speaker on Tuesday, I really felt that for several days of like being in person. I totally relate to of like getting to be in community with people physically in person, but then having someone else be able to come and contribute to the conversation then felt unique all over again. So isn't that odd that like we know we crave that or that we need that, but then it feels really new right now.
2: Yeah, it's such a great point. I hadn't even thought our board retreat was in person. And mm-hmm. I have mostly taught these students as an adjunct faculty member as little boxes on a screen for the past year and a half. Right. Um, I hadn't really even made that connection that a piece of why that probably felt so meaningful was the energy of being in a room with people in real time and seeing and reading their reactions. Yes. And, just the feedback you get when you notice body language and you see other people getting excited or curious or interested. And, oh, man, the experience of uh, teaching for a year and a half to little black boxes (laughs) is not one I ever care to repeat. Right. Um, That's such a great point. Yeah, I hadn't really even thought about how probably that personal aspect was, was a part of what made that so special for me on Friday.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, I think this is a great... Segue into our larger conversation today about occupations and what makes them so meaningful. And you know, before you think, okay, so we're just going to talk about people's jobs for the next however long. No, no, no. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna do Lindsay's work for her and say that's not what we're here to talk about necessarily. I appreciate that. Um, but before we get into the nuts and bolts of occupations, I want to quickly run down Lindsay's bio like why why is she here you know outside of the fact that you know we live together um we we brought her on because this is an expertise for her and whenever I hear her talk about occupations what they mean what they are what we do I'm inspired so I know that some of our listeners are going to be as well um so here (laughs) is a bit about Lindsay. Brandon, I'm
1: gonna steal this job from you, okay? I guess I wanna introduce Lindsay. Okay. You get to I'm like cool know about this stuff all the time because you have a guru living with uh-huh. you. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, the guru tell no, she didn't write that. Um, is a graduate of the UF Department of Occupational Therapy. She's been practicing since twenty thirteen in settings throughout Gainesville, including adult inpatient rehab pediatric outpatient care, mental health, and now runs a private practice specializing in mental and emotional health. LCS Occupational Therapy strives to ensure all clients are able to live their lives to the fullest, in part by identifying what a meaningful life means to them. She had received the Florida Occupational Therapy Association Award of Appreciation, the University of Florida Young Alumni Award, and was a member of the American Occupational Therapy Association Emerging Leaders Program. Now, if that's not a reason to have this young lady on the, <laughs> on the podcast, I don't know what it is. And I love that I don't know all of this about you, Lindsay. Oh, well, You are doing beautiful work. Like, even reading this again, that her private practice strives to ensure all clients are able to live their lives to the fullest, in part by identifying what a meaningful life means to them. If that's not something that we all want and desire in our lives. I don't know what is.
2: Thank you. I'm really glad to be here and excited to share a little bit more about the perspective of an occupational therapist.
0: So I think that's a great place to start because <laughs> before I met you, I had no idea what occupational therapy was or what an occupational therapist does. So I guess before we start talking about occupations, let's demystify what the term occupational therapy means and what you do.
2: Sure. So I'm gonna we're gonna go on a little like history lesson. So uh, just within the past two three years, occupational therapy as a profession celebrated its hundredth anniversary. So we have been around as a profession for longer than most people probably even realize, and it started after World War One. So after World War One, you had largely men coming back from war with significant wounds and injuries, both physical and emotional. This was when the term shell shock first kind of came back and what we now know of and think of as PTSD. And of course, historically, men, men did the jobs, right, if we're thinking back then. Uh, and all of a sudden, you had this whole generation of young men coming back from this really significant war experience who couldn't do jobs. Uh, they literally could not work to earn, you know, wages for their own families or for themselves. And they were suffering as a result. And so a, a group of people that weren't defined as occupational therapists then, they were a mixture of uh, rehabilitative folks and counselors and mental health and psychology, got together and started engaging these men in activities. They taught some of the blind soldiers to tune pianos because their sense of sound was intact. wow! They taught men to sew and do leather work. Uh, and what they found was that as they gave these people things to occupy their time that had value and meaning and a way to contribute back to the community, some of their emotional wounds started to heal. Mm. And so occupational therapy has always had its roots in using daily tasks to help people heal. And so nowadays that looks really different. And I always Mm. joke that occupational therapy really has like an identity crisis problem. (laughs) It's probably the reason that no one really understands super well. But if you think about the youngest baby in the NICU, their job is to breathe, to eat, to regulate their temperature. And you'll find occupational therapists in the NICU helping them. To do Mm -hmm. that, if you think about somebody who's experienced a stroke or an amputation, they have a whole rich life of activities that they need to get back to things as basic as bathing themselves and all the way up to driving and working and being a parent and fulfilling whatever roles they have. An occupational therapist will help them do that. Um, So, all throughout the lifespan, we have stuff that we have to do that fills up our time. And it's, of course, different if you're five versus 80. Uh, but nonetheless meaningful. And so our our role is to help folks get back to doing the things that matter to them. Wow.
0: So for those of you who heard occupational therapy and like <laughs> thought job training, that's not <laughs> that's what this not is. What it's is. a whole lot more meaningful than that. Yeah. Um, I
2: don't know at what point in history the term occupation um, was switched or became synonymous with vocation, uh, mm. but but the way that we as occupational therapists use that term is not, um, it's not the same. So whenever I have kind of conversations about OT, I always separate the idea of your vocation from your occupations mm-hmm. because occupations encompass you being a dad, you having a podcast, you running a music organization, uh, you as you know an athlete, mm-hmm. Taylor, um, any of the things that you do that define who you are as a person, that if they were lost tomorrow for some reason, Mm -hmm. would leave a gap, leave that
1: space. Those are your occupations. It seems so obvious now when we think about occupying your time, but I have never, it's what you were saying, Brandon, like I didn't think that OT was, you know, job training because I've experienced it in certain ways before, but I've never put that literal tie to how we occupy our time, which is like kind of blowing my mind right now. And the other thing that really stands out from the examples you gave, Lindsay, are I think sometimes when we're trying, we think about words like rehabilitation or finding our our calling or whatever, however we use our time, we think of big things. We try to make it big, right? Like we're going to fix this. This is sure. going to make it. But you're actually putting an emphasis on the building blocks of what helps us live in kind of a foundational way. Yeah. And I really like that. That's something super new and how I'm understanding what OT is.
2: Yeah. When I worked in inpatient rehab, we do a lot of toileting. Uh, and it's not the most glamorous part of anybody's job. <laughs> I and I would have lots of clients yeah. joke about, you have a master's degree and in go into the bathroom. And i say, well, you know, kinda. <laughs> kind of. Kind <laughs> of. Actually. <laughs> it's unique. <laughs> but do you know the number one reason that people don't leave a rehabilitation facility and discharge home is because of the amount of help they require with toileting? Wow. And because either they as a person... Or their family do not want to engage and they don't want help in toileting. It's a very private thing, or because their family doesn't feel equipped to handle that. Wow. So these like super basic things that occupy our time, even going to the bathroom, are tied to really deep senses of dignity and worth and who we are. Wow. And toileting's a funny example, but most people who could otherwise go home from an injury in a rehabilitation hospital that don't it's it's simply because of how much toileting help is required so mm. when we think about these kind of really small minute you know the minutiae of our day we don't we don't put a lot of emphasis on using the restroom as as we move about our day but those little things that stitch together you know whether we pack a lunch or we buy a lunch mm-hmm. um, whether we go out to lunch with people in the community how you go about eating what does that mean Mm -hmm. What's the meaning tied to packing a lunch versus meeting up with friends? And so those little things that if we don't put some thought into why we're doing them and what they mean to us, we just kind of live our way into something. Mm -hmm. And at times, if we look back, we've maybe not lived our way into the thing that would bring us more satisfaction or more value. this is like blowing my
1: mind right now. (laughs) All kinds of...
0: (laughs) (laughs) What are some ways that we can... um, begin to process the things that we value the, the occupations that we value and and focus on those
2: so if you were to come see me in practice or if you were to see an occupational therapist we'd walk you through roles habits routines and rituals
0: what does all that mean? <laughs>
2: so roles are these big overarching things you are a mom you're a dad you are a uh, an employee you're a son you're a daughter and underneath all of those things are a series of activities we engage in that define that role for us so that's important to understand that first of all what what Taylor attributes to being a mom and what I attribute to being mm. a mom may be different sure mm. and yeah. that's important because a lot of times in society right we judge roles we I think as moms get this a lot There's a societal definition of what it means to be a mom. Yeah. And it may not be our personal one. There's a societal definition to what it means to be a dad. I laugh
0: because I Mm. I feel like generally speaking, if I'm physically there, like.
2: Let's give (laughs) you a ribbon. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Pretty much. That's very true. If I'm
1: physically there. (laughs) But I
2: know, I know good men, much like you. Good men, good fathers for whom that's not the definition of being a dad. Just showing up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, the basic, I, I am present. Um, that wouldn't be enough to give you value and meaning. You wouldn't look back at the end of the day and say I was a good dad because I just was physically in the room, in the room. <laughs> right? Right. Um, but so that's you know that's important. When we think about our roles, I think we don't always take time to consider what our personal benchmark is for succeeding in that role. And we often live into the societal struggle and have to check that sometimes, right? So if you Mm. think about a role you have, what's a role where you feel some tension between what society tells you you need to do to fulfill that role and Mm. where your values are?
1: The first thing that came to mind is being a single mom, Mm. you know, that sometimes that can get kind of, it's not something that I like talk about all the time or that people ask me about all the time necessarily, but definitions of what that can be to others and societally and to myself can, can feel in conflict with each other, mean different things. That was the first one to come to me.
0: So for me, it is kind of the, the role of employee uh, that I come into con- conflict with a little bit. And, and, and Lindsay, you would know better than anybody because you've heard me process this over a period of years that our society is generally structured for the majority of people to sort of just do jobs and just go with the flow. You'll get paid a certain amount of money to do that job. And society isn't structured well for someone to have a family and kind of do their own thing, find a new path, forge an mm-hmm. entrepreneurial direction. And for me, that has come into conflict many times. Mm-hmm. I've come to terms with it. At a certain point, I just had to say, okay, I guess I'll just, you know, go with do the flow this on this one. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So yeah that's I mean, a great example. It starts there with looking at the roles that you hold and deciding, are, are do I even want some of these? <laughs> Or are there other ones that I wish I had and I don't right now? Mm -hmm. You know, I know for me, pre-meeting Brandon and uh, uh, pre-becoming a step-parent and adopting, I desperately wanted to be a mom. And that role was something that consumed a lot of my thoughts. There was just a lack of satisfaction. I loved my job. I had a lot of other roles that were deeply meaningful. But there was one role that I really wanted that I didn't have at that time. So I think it starts there. It starts with looking at the roles you have and deciding if they're the ones you want and what your standards for them really are mm-hmm. but we live our way into those roles through habits and routines so habits and routines are just the way you go about doing something and really routines become habits and habits become roles Huh. Wow. cool can right? you
0: give me an example of what that i mean it's like in theory <clears throat> i'm like whoa I get that, yeah. But I'm like trying to come up with a picture of what that looks like, and I'm like, uh, I'm not sure. Mm
2: -hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna use you as an example because I live with you. Boy,
1: (laughs) you asked for it. (laughs) So you have a routine
2: about doing the dishes. (laughs) (laughs) The dishes before we came here. Yes, Uh (laughs) there is almost never a dish in our sink, and if there is, it drives you a little bananas. I know yep so you know that's a that's a routine for you, which by the way, not when i com- I'm not complaining because I don't do the dishes, so right. <laughs> very very pro this routine in our household.
0: Can we talk about where that routine came from
2: real quick? Where did that routine come from?
0: Mhm when we started <laughs> dating. I noticed that you were very busy and dishes were not always done. Oh, very and true. And so as trying to be a good boyfriend, I would come over and do the dishes. As a part Mine does of this being too. There. So and um, then in doing it to be sweet, it sort of became a routine. It became mm-hmm. something where I'm like, okay, well now what? I- it divorced itself from the sweetness, and now it's like, I have to do this. <laughs> it's a
1: compulsion.
0: It's a compulsion. It's like, <laughs> I feel like no one else is going to if I don't, but also, like, I have to because I set the tone early on, all of that combined.
1: That's so as a... I'm
0: saying this out loud, I'm like, lining up even yeah, really well. that's with... such
2: a great example, though. Like, your role of being mm. a boyfriend in your mind meant meeting some of the needs that I had that I wasn't able to fulfill myself or, or didn't get around to doing. <laughs>
0: however you want to put it yeah
2: so sometimes our roles you know that goes the other way our roles end up dictating kind of what we do but that routine of doing the dishes has become a habit right it's now something you do Mm. all the time and it's something that I think ties into your role as husband and dad you see that as something that is part of that role and I say that because anytime I've tried to take it from you you get a little like uh wait a minute this is but I'm supposed to be doing the dishes right now.
1: <laughs> so roles can transition to Lindsay. Like if that was Brandon's role as a boyfriend because of how it built, then it became his role as a husband when he transitioned into that. Yeah. Yeah. For that's sure. cool too. For okay. Sure. But I don't know that example. we ever
2: sat down and had a conversation that Brandon's role. Or that part of his daily routine should be doing the dishes. Mm. And so this is like an awesome example of we've just lived our way into the division of labor in our household <laughs> is that Brandon does the dishes. Cool. Now, that's like a small example. I don't know that, that there's great life strife caused by who does the dishes. But you could see where in some relationships you could build a resentment that that's part of your role. Why do I always do the dishes? Why mm. is that always part of my routine and not part of your routine? mm but we lived our way into that kind of by accident, and I think that's what happens in our lives. We get into a routine, that routine becomes a habit, that habit becomes tied to a role, and it becomes very hard to disentangle all of that and go, well, wait a minute, do I want, do I want it to work this way? And so, the very first thing I have people do when they come in the office is a schedule inventory. Write down for an entire week how you spend your time. Yeah. And it's surprising for some people. How... It's really eye-opening. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Have you ever done that?
1: Well, not uh, – you. Call, what did you call it? Schedule inventory? Yeah. That, I've that's done... not an official term. I just okay. made that up. <laughs> oh, very good. That was on the spot. It was very impressive. Um, Yeah, I've done a similar thing called energy mapping mm. around the same – I mean, that's what it's making me think of. But yeah, it's like you can do like a day or a week. Yeah. And it's really eye-opening. You're like, do I spend that much energy? Not always time. Energy. energy. Doing that. Yeah, I love that. So that's what you have people do right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. just
2: keep a schedule. We often will do an ideal schedule. If you could, oh, cool. if you didn't have limits and restrictions, and you could map your day out however you wanted, what would it look like, and how are you actually spending your time? Yeah. And then... It's always a little difficult when there's a vast kind of chasm between the two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then the work becomes how do we slowly transition from the actual schedule we're leading to something that looks more like our ideal schedule. And there is like I always want to say there's a lot of inherent privilege in this conversation because the ability to just go, well, I don't really like the way my schedule right. works. I don't really like the way my routine is going. I would like to connect with people at lunchtime. So I'm going to go out for lunch. There are there are inherent Elements of privilege in that. But I do think that even when resources are limited, the ability to make the choices you can make, Mm -hmm. whatever those are, even if they're few, the ability to make those choices can be deeply powerful because that's the empowering part of occupation is Mm. doing
1: the stuff that means something to you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like being able to, like you said, the power of choice and then having like the agency. To make those choices whenever possible, maybe like you said, there that's not always possible, but yeah. just for it's kind of the power of making the choice there, yeah, and being able to even choose to see our the use of our resources differently—that is a an empowering thing. That's so cool.
2: Yeah, that's. So I I went through that kind of process. I think about when when my kids. I say came home because that's kind of how it how it worked out for us in our family. I, I was not a mom, and then all of a sudden I was a mom, mm. and my kids were four uh, when they came into my world. And so I missed some of the, like, acculturation process of figuring out that balance, and I just all of a sudden had tiny people that could talk and had demands and had thoughts and opinions about how I spent my time with them. And I remember Brandon and I wrestled with this a lot, and actually probably still do. It's It's kind of a constant battle for me of... How do I use my time as a as an employee, as a worker, and how do I use my time as a parent? And the balance that I've been fortunate enough to settle on is that I don't consider working full-time to be the benchmark of being a good employee. Mm. Um, now, again, lots of privilege in that for sure. And I don't consider, for me, being at home with my kids all the time, the benchmark of being a good mom. But there was a lot of teasing that out in mm-hmm. the beginning. There was a real – I did stay home for a year, and I loved that kind of, but there was also something missing. There was a role in that for me that I needed.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, so I think there's some wrestling that has to happen in figuring out your values and figuring out what what works. Uh, what's the right kind of cocktail of activities to fill your occupational needs.
1: Yeah. And as you said earlier, too, taking into account what's our thought on what the role is and what we're being told from external sources, because also that balance of how much do I want to be an employee or work or spend my time, energy working versus being a mom like society, sure enough, has has mm-hmm. thoughts on that. Right. Oh, yeah. And all I mean, but even that is so varied. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot to weigh out.
0: So I'm hearing a lot about values and I'm sensing and feeling this like real push towards doing the things that I value that means something to me. And if I've gone through and created my weekly inventory of my schedule, that's, that's part of it. But what if I've never actually taken the time... To identify what is valuable for me? How would I even go about starting to yeah. think about that?
2: So I think some of that is taking, you know, there are lots of values inventories that are kind of readily available online, value card sorts. Um, you can go to I always quote Brene Brown because I just love Brene Brown. Obviously, yeah. But you can easily pull up. She's got a list of values on her website. And for some of us, it's just a matter of sitting down and looking at it. And once we actually take that pause, we can we can get to a place of figuring them out. For some people, I think that work really does need to be done with somebody who's skilled in values work, whether that's a counselor or certain OTs have that background, because there can be a lot tied into values. You can be holding on to values that aren't serving you really well. But they come from a place of something in your childhood, something significant in your life experiences, some kind of trauma, fear, a self-esteem issue. And so there are some folks that I think that work is best done alongside somebody that they trust, whether that's a professional or a family member or somebody that can kind of walk through that journey and look at those values
1: and figure out what's the point behind these. It's wild that we don't always... Like you were saying, bro, we always we don't know what we want to fill our time, but like even in having this values list, part of the intimidation factor can be like, well, what are my options? Right. So you can't identify it if you don't know what the choices are, or you know, without seeing that list, you might not know that. I think Brene Brown identifies like 200 on her Mm -hmm. list or something like that. There's quite a few. It's very intimate. It can Mm -hmm. be so intimidating to go into that because the even the awareness of what the choices are can be really exciting or be really daunting. So then choosing them, like you said, Brene is like we have to be aware first. That's you know that's kind of trippy.
2: (laughs) We're all kind of from the same generation, and I would I'm curious if you had the same experience as me. I don't remember a single time growing up where any of the conversations about what my life in adulthood was going to be had to do with values.
0: Yeah. I don't remember when it was ever context. framed.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Even jobs, it for me, was framed around skill and aptitude. You are smart enough, yeah. capable enough to do this, and you maybe like it.
1: Yeah. I don't know that it was explicit that way. And it makes me think I think we all had our own a version of religious uh-huh. upbringing and that values could have been folded into that in some way, but not necessarily in good ways. Sure. Yeah. So you were saying that sometimes they, they hold this weight or meaning mm-hmm. that we don't ascribe to as much now. Yeah.
0: Well, so for me, one of the things that I'm sort of wrestling with, it's not a direct answer to your question about what I was taught as a child, as it pertains to values, but it kind of does. When I think about things that I value, Now, I think of things like community and being engaged in the community. That, in particular, is something that I had to come into through the occupations that I engage in. I'm using it in both senses of the word occupation, to be honest, in this case. But I don't think that I was ever taught like community is a value being a part of a community Mm -hmm. is a value Mm -hmm. Um, connecting with people is of value but by doing it it taught me that that is a value for me so I think that there's this sort of feedback loop that is part of this conversation Taylor, you were saying how do you even identify what these things are for you and at some in some level it is by for me has been by doing by trying things Mm -hmm. some have really stuck some really did not
1: and it's like the living into part that you're for sure. talking about.
2: Yeah. I mean, values change as our roles change. And as we change developmentally, you know, the things, our kids have values. Yeah. Right? They do. They're they're autonomous little people. Even at 8, 9, 10 years old, there's things they value. But they're going to change and their understanding of those values are going to change. Uh, but I think for many of us, especially in our generation, I don't know from. I never really know. Are we millennials? Or are we Gen Xers? I oh, don't. Know. gosh, I, I don't know where don't we go. I hate that either. category. I Just I think people who grew up with this kind of mindset that you um, you have to go to college to succeed I think was a big part mm-hmm. of of growing up for mm-hmm. a lot of us, um, which has the also implicit minds or the implicit message that if you don't go to college, if you can't or won't or don't want to, you will not succeed. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's a really kind of interesting flip side to that message of go to college and achieve your dreams. What does that mean for someone who isn't or can't or doesn't want to go to college? Um, but our values were are kind of defined in that time. And we at some point have to take stock of where those are. So it's kind of interesting. In OT, We have a model called PEO, which stands for Person, Environment, and Occupation. So if you imagine like a Venn diagram, when these three circles overlap, and right in the middle is what we call occupational performance. It's your Mm. sense of how you're succeeding at doing the stuff that you want to do. And a lot of times we put a, a ton of emphasis on P, on the person. You know, it's what I bring to the table, what I understand, how good I am, Uh, The flip side of that is maybe feeling like you aren't good enough to do it. The fact that the performance isn't where you want it to be is somehow a character flaw or trait. Values fall into that category of person. We don't always attend enough to those two other really important things. So occupation is what you're doing, but also all the attributes of how you're going about it. Environment is where you're doing it and how. Yeah. So in a really simple example, if I'm trying to get something off the top shelf of my cabinets, I cannot because me as a person is not tall enough to reach the top cabinets. But part of the occupation of that is that I have chosen to put the things I want and need on the top shelf, (laughs) which maybe doesn't make a lot of sense. If I give myself a ladder, if I change the nature of the occupation, I now have a ladder available to me, I will increase my performance. Hmm. I don't have to change anything about me but the way I've gone about the task doesn't work. If we think about the environment, if I turn the lights off, even if I have the ladder, it's still really hard to get the thing off the top shelf because I can't see. And so the other longer conversation, part, part two of the podcast maybe, is how we conceptualize the way we do things. Uh, that, oh, that how we occupy our time is a huge part of it, but our success in that category, our success at what we're doing has so much more to do than just us inherently as a person and what we're bringing to the table. Part two needs to happen. <laughs> I,
0: I was going to say, I mean, I feel like there's a little more to it than, than, than what you're describing, but like this is the m- most powerful explanation and simple explanation of occupational therapy and and what I understand that it is that you do to be clear my understanding is probably (laughs) a drop in the bucket it it sounds so simple uh, like okay so you can't reach it get a ladder right or you can't see it turn on the lights but underneath it is all of these other things that you're really describing
2: Yeah, and it's, so I mentioned PEO, and it's a model that we are a theory in occupational therapy, and it's, you know, theories are what we use to kind of conceptualize. It's the lens we put on when we think about a challenge that someone brings to us. And so the idea of a ladder and, a you know, the step and the light is is a really kind of simple example, but if you think about a problem that you're having in your in your day right now, like Can you think about a challenge, maybe personally or professionally, where you feel like your occupational performance, meaning, you know, the way that the outcome that you're delivering in the thing you're doing isn't where you want it to be?
0: Are you asking hypothetically or for an actual example?
2: You know, if you have an actual example, I think that's great. We can talk through it a little. But, you know, even a hypothetical one uh, or maybe something you've noticed in somebody else's world or or anything else Uh,
0: yeah okay (laughs) we'll see if this is something that works with what you're describing as of late I have had a harder time than ever before in my life on focusing Mm -hmm. in general I know that's kind of a big one not very specific but I've sensed that in myself because that's something that I've always been very good at doing is being focused and Being attentive to the things right in front of me.
2: So how's that impacting your performance and the stuff you do? What's that? What's that look like? Is it missed appointments? Is it taking you longer to get tasks done? What What does that mean um, in terms of your performance?
0: Definitely taking longer to get things done. I I catch myself sort of zoning out a little bit. I've heard the term disassociation, and I don't Mm -hmm. know that it. I don't know that I've ever heard a definition of that really clearly, and I don't know if that's what this is, but just sort of like I can just feel my vision sort of like phasing out a little bit, like not focusing on the thing directly in front of me on my computer and just kind of lean back in my chair a little bit or like stare out the window And look at the flag across the street when I'm in my office, (laughs) for example. Or, you know, if I'm at my house working on my computer at home, sort of looking down rather than at my computer. Or looking at the blinds above the computer, that sort of thing. And that's, again, that's not really something that I've noticed as a behavior in myself until relatively recently.
2: Yeah. So we would conceptualize that kind of first as a challenge with you as a person, So the person comes up with your physical skills, your emotional skills, your cognitive skills, your values, your roles, your habits, your routines. It all falls into that category. So we might say that cognitively you are having some attentional difficulties. There's trouble focusing. And we could kind of lump it all into that category and say that it's just something in your brain. Maybe you need a medicine. Maybe you need more sleep. Maybe you need uh, to move around a bit. But we can also kind of pull our worldview back a little bit and think about how the task itself is or is not setting you up for success. Um, so, is there? You've mentioned work a lot in that in that aspect. So, is it something about the particular project that you're working on that maybe is contributing to some of those attentional difficulties? Uh, it's possible.
0: I, I I would say that this sort of carries across different types of projects some that are more meaningful and some that are less so I think also as you know as we're talking about it as I'm sort of visualizing myself in that space it comes more uh, associated with when my mind starts to wander onto the topics of the day Mm -hmm. and again I kind of look at my past experiences like okay well yeah there's stuff happening in the world but like shut it out and keep stay focused but uh, i think that with everything happening in the world today and there's no need to rehash (laughs) you know what i'm talking about if you're listening to this that it just is overwhelming like it's too much
2: so that stuff that you're talking about falls into that e or environment category And the environment is partially our physical space. So if the room is too cold or too hot or too dark or too bright, that can impact how much we focus. But when we talk about environment as occupational therapists, we also think about the temporal time where we're at in the world. So certain seasons of life that may be more difficult uh, for different reasons. You know, you're a dad with two kids uh that may make it a little more difficult to focus than somebody who is single uh if you know the winter time where people often experience more seasonal affective disorder that may be a contributing factor uh and then very much the world that we're living in we have moved into a virtual environment very swiftly <laughs> we all right like March 2020 all of a sudden, we were all living in a, in a virtual world and relying on a virtual world for all of our human connection. And so that has had a huge impact on occupational performance for lots of people in lots of ways. Many of the things that we do and pride ourselves on doing well, I think many people are not finding that they do that as well. These days, the strife and ongoing struggles in our broader world that we are all experiencing are part of that environment. So you are a person doing a task on a broader stage. And any of those things can impact how well you feel you're doing at the task. So what do we what do we do about that then, right? Is like <laughs> That's a great
0: question. I'm sitting over here like this is also very existential.
2: Yeah. And so as an occupational therapist, like we look at those different things. So maybe there are as a person, attentional difficulties, like true deficits in attention that maybe require medication or require a change to your routine in order to compensate. Maybe you have to work in short bursts and take breaks, things like a Pomodoro technique, where you work for 25 minutes. Take a five-minute break. 25 minutes. Take a five-minute break. 25 minutes. Take a longer 30-minute break.
0: Sorry, when you say pomodoro, is that 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 timer clock, the the mm. tomato? Timer yeah, there is one. Yeah, they
2: do make that. But it's just the idea that you to help with focus, you work in short bursts, give yourself short breaks, and then take a longer break at the end. So if we were trying to kind of address things like your attentional difficulties, we might need to kind of compensate for your attention. We might need to change the task a little bit. And so, you know, we kind of go down a checklist when you when someone presents an issue in a session because not all those things are options, right? You can't just not do a project because it's hard to focus. But maybe you can do that project in the morning when you feel the most alert and do other projects that don't require as much focus in the afternoon if that's kind of when you feel less alert. So we might kind of work through some ideas, right? Would, it, would this help? Let's try it out. We might see what we could change about the environment. Maybe we put some music on for you and help you feel a little more alert that way.
0: You know what's funny? Mm-hmm. For the first time in my life, music is actually more of a distractor oh. as a background uh, thing than it is a focuser unless it is something that has no words mm-hmm. or something I know extremely well. So I love listening to new music all the time. But I have found it harder to engage in that because I can't do it passively right. as easily because words in music that I don't know is more distracting, distracting than it has been in the past.
2: Yeah. So, you know, sometimes when there's a problem, we run into the realization that the cause is something we don't have control over. So we might be able to tinker with the way you go about it. We might be able to find something in the environment like the time of day you do the task. But at the end of the day, if it's really just a mental and emotional overload from the state of our world, the only option we have left is to offer ourselves grace and change our expectations for performance. So that Venn diagram, where those three things cross, person, environment, occupation, and what's left in the middle is your performance, you set the, the decision for what adequate performance is. And we understand that those little diagrams, when we sort of fill them out, are very temporal. It's, it's what we have in this moment. And so your performance today is not going to look the same as it did pre-pandemic. As it did early in the pandemic, we have gone through this now for a year and a half, um, and and things have, in some ways, not gotten better. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, there are there is some growth in progress. We have vaccines now, and we have, uh, you know, certain forward movement that can make us feel like things are maybe getting better. Um, but for all of us, this has this has worn on. Um, wherever you are on the spectrum of your opinion about COVID and, and what we do to stay safe, this has worn on. It's, it's wearing on all of us. And so there comes a time where then you have to decide, how, how do I judge myself? Maybe I just change the benchmark. And sometimes that's, the, that's what we arrive at. So what would it feel like to change the benchmark for performance right now?
0: editor's note you'll notice a distinct lack of taylor for a few minutes and she had
2: to go fulfill a role as a mom she had a she had an awesome opportunity to spend some time with her daughter like she said they had a lady date so she stepped out to do that which is great
0: exactly so she will return at the end of this episode (laughs) (laughs) and back to the conversation yeah
2: so we were we were talking about You know, sometimes you go through the list of all the potential reasons you could be having difficulty with the task. And at the end of the day, there's nothing that's really within your power to change. And we recognize that maybe the circumstances just just don't facilitate great performance right now. So the only option we're left with then is to change the benchmark for performance. So what does it feel like to just kind of honor and own that right now – the situation that we're functioning in maybe doesn't facilitate the same level of performance you used to be able to deliver.
0: That's really profound, considering that's a conversation that I've had Mm -hmm. with my supervisor um, about this very thing. And at some level, I work at an organization, at an institution that expects things to be done, at least on paper at the same level that they were done pre pandemic. And like, we've had that conversation, Mm -hmm. but I think also at a personal level, the people that I work with and all of sort of the circles around that, we also all do recognize that (laughs) it isn't February, 2020 anymore. It's been hard for me to wrap my head around what that means for me personally because I have valued accomplishment so much for so many years.
2: There's the, there's the key there. There's that value word again.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I'm having to tell myself and teach myself that it's okay to not have as many things checked off my to-do list or my accomplishment list or like how quick I can get things done. It's just not the same. So
2: you're obviously my husband, so I have a, a little bit more insight into into kind of how you operate than I do to the average client who comes in. But this is part of that exploration process. Is you've you've circled back around to, to the very thing we started with when you have a certain value and you attach that value to success in a role, being an employee, and circumstances don't allow you to feel as though you are fulfilling that role, and you're fulfilling your values, it creates a lot of tension, it creates a lot of dissatisfaction about how we're spending our time. So, you know, some of the work then is, what do we what do we do about that? Do we help you process uh, and feel better about not being able to meet your values right now, live them out as fully as you would like, understanding that it is very likely temporal, and that when the world recalibrates, hopefully, <laughs> things are you know kind of return to baseline. Is it helping you gain some insight into your own expectations? And and I would posit for you again, knowing you that your level of performance is always so much higher than almost anybody else because you are always able to get so much done that your current level of functioning is probably just what the rest of us plebeians usually accomplish. <laughs> But that doesn't under – you know, that doesn't take away from feeling like you're not functioning the way you want to function. And so that's that's an important part of living life with an occupational mindset is that we set, we set the benchmark for success. We decide when we feel like we're doing what we're supposed to be doing the way we want to do it. That's something you have to wrestle with then and, and think through. But this is happening – literally on on a personal level, on an organizational level, on a population level. And so this idea of taking a step back and looking at what we're doing, how we're doing it, and why we're having trouble doing it can be applied in lots of different ways. And my hope in leading people through that exercise is that they really do develop some grace. That again, there's sometimes an overemphasis on I'm not succeeding because of me as a person. It is a failure on my shoulders. Because that's
0: how it feels sometimes.
2: I have sure. to be honest. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, we've been really conditioned, I think in our society, to think that way. Uh, right? We have this bootstrap mentality. Right? We hear that a lot. Like if you if you want to do better, just do better. And we know that that's not really realistic. And again, comes from a place of deep privilege, this idea that If you just want to achieve something, you just have to do it. You just have to work hard. But that's a very, very much kind of an American culture mentality that we have it all within our own abilities, you know, manifest destiny, right? If you want to make it happen, it's on you to do it. And I think there's a lot of power in considering some of the other factors that prevent us from doing the things we want to do.
0: So... For our listeners, if they're inspired by any of the things that we have talked about today, what are some ways that you would summarize all of this that you would encourage people to apply it? How can they be more mindful of the occupations that they hold and that they value? That's a big question. Three (laughs) three in one.
2: Well, I want to say first, if there's, um, you know, if there's anyone listening who wants some of the kind of worksheets that I would use in practice to, to just take a take an initial look at, I'm happy to share those. And you can reach out through the contact page on OT Gainesville website, and I'm happy to send those over to you. That's probably the easiest way to get them to somebody. But I would say it starts with, with making a simple list. What are the roles that you're currently living? And What are the attributes you ascribe to those roles? What does it mean to do those roles well? Which is undergirded kind of in values. So if you've never had the opportunity to do a values exercise, again, you can find them really readily online as just kind of an initial starting point to think through. Most of them will recommend, you know, that giant list of 100 value words or 200 value words or or whatever list you start with, trying to narrow it down to five. Which is a...
0: Even just hearing that block idea, out taking an hour, 200 <laughs> words of values and slimming them down to five. Oh,
2: boy. Well, and so the trick with that is that um, there are some things we, we will flat out not value. So for me, sure. power and authority is not a value. I don't really derive a lot of meaning from titles. And that's not something I, I don't make any of my decisions in life based on those things. But I deeply value competence. I very much want to be seen and to feel like a person who knows what they're talking about. So it's teasing out the things that you really do not value. And then what are the things that are the primary ways you go about making a decision? So there are going to be a whole pot of values that you do value. It's not that you don't care about teamwork or collaboration. But when push comes to shove, if you had to decide between two things, there are usually a couple of key factors that are going to weigh more heavily and those are your core values you can like I said print a you know print a schedule and and take kind of an inventory of how you're spending your time and maybe do that ideal schedule activity and think about given unlimited options what would it look like and sometimes it's small steps we started with talking about toileting. You know, these really simple basic. <laughs> we've gone from toileting to some really big ex- existential questions. <laughs> and right back around to toileting. <laughs> but it is the little things that you do in your day. It's it's packing the lunches, doing the laundry, doing the dishes, calling your family, uh, not calling your family. It's it's those little tiny actions in the course of a day that ultimately kind of add up. And so Looking at that schedule you have and the ideal one and maybe just identifying two or three things that you could do a little differently to help you feel like you're fulfilling a role a little bit better. And then I often have people in my office draw out that diagram. So again, a Venn diagram where you have three overlapping circles, P, E, and O. And right in the middle, think about that performance problem that you're having. Where do you feel like you're not measuring up? Where there's something you wish you were doing better And start looking at all the ways that you as a person have skills that are helping and things that are not helping, things in your occupation, the way you're doing the task, the nature of the activity itself that are helping and not helping, and things in the environment that are helping and not helping. And sometimes that helps us to get a better perspective of where the challenge really lies and what we can actually maybe change.
0: I mean, I'm I'm honestly still over here, kind of processing what we talked about when we went through the PE and O for me. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm I'm like having a, a dual conversation in my head, like yeah, yeah, I want to I want to know more, and then also like I'm still trying to work <laughs> through what this means for me, right? This moment, because y'all basically just heard some some real-world therapy in real time. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: sort of. And I, w- I want to say thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. I promise we had no conversations about what this conversation was going to be. That was not at all a rehearsed thing. You were very much put on the spot to share <laughs> <laughs> to share something and, and model wasn't that. wasn't
0: necessarily something that I had talked to Lindsay about before this conversation in that specific no, way No, not either. that
2: specifically. So, um, I, you know, thank you for being vulnerable and letting us walk through that process using you as an example. Thank you for for having me today. I'm always very excited when I can share about occupational therapy. I mentioned at the beginning, you know, I think our profession, by virtue of how broadly we practice, suffers from a bit of an identity crisis. And people tend to come to know OT through injury or illness or disability. That's an important part of what we do, but there's also for me, this really beautiful philosophy behind our profession, this idea that you really are what you do, and that to the extent you can, deciding what it is you want to do, how do you want to spend this one wild and crazy life? How do you want to fill your time? It's just such a deeply powerful way to walk through life. And so I'm really grateful you had me here today to share a little bit of the kind of OT philosophy and again, kind of living with an occupational mindset. I'll see you at home.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's jump in the car and drive away. So the way that we normally wrap up our conversations is that we identify a word to take with us I would normally just throw it to Taylor to give me a couple more minutes to think about what I was <laughs> oh, going to say. Oh, I see. Is uh-huh. that what you're doing? Uh-huh. No, uh, But I think this time it makes a lot of sense for Taylor to start both for that, for me, and also to show Lindsay kind of, you know, wow. what it, what this format is like since we already determined that she doesn't listen to the podcast. So.
1: have <laughs> to bring that <laughs> up again, but that's not a sore <laughs> spot or anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nobody's bitter about it. I do appreciate you saying, now normally I would send it to Taylor, and this time, though, I'm going to make Taylor do it. <laughs> <laughs> I would just say the idea of openness, that we, like, we don't always know where we're being led and where we're going to end up. And also, gosh, I guess this is too... Earlier, Brandon, you were talking about one of your values is doing something you really love. Did you say that in the beginning? Being with
0: community. Yeah. Doing things you love. Oh, together I see. That was your community. value. Yeah. But yeah. also doing things you love is a big uh, important value. It's, it seems important, well. right? Yeah. And so I
1: think, but when, we're op- when we have that spirit of openness and we follow doing what we love, then, I mean, we obviously have better results that way. That's kind of my thought. Openness.
0: As for me, a word that I have really been sitting with and i mentioned it at the top is that idea of community and finding safe ways to be in community with each other that's hard right now and there's a whole lot of baggage that comes with even wanting to be around other people in in general and, and i understand that but i encourage people to find a way to tap into that community because whenever it finally feels safe for all of us to do that if we haven't flexed those muscles they will have atrophied if you don't use Mm. it you lose it Mm -hmm. and we do our best work when we are working together so yeah the idea of community Lindsay, do you have a word to to take with us
2: Oh, I'm going to leave you with maybe an obvious word. I'm going to leave you with the word occupation because um, that is the one that always bounces around in my brain. Uh, and so hopefully after this conversation, you're, you're walking away with a different understanding of what that word means. Uh, just in case, I'll reiterate, um, <laughs> occupation isn't just the jobs. It's the things that fill up our time. And so kind of similar to what you both have said that, you know, when you fill up that time with things that match your values, when you fill up that time with things that you're open to exploring and that, you know, deeply tie into the things you love and that you enjoy engaging in, things do tend to work out a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's, I think, a different way of thinking than than some of us are maybe immediately kind of conditioned to go to is, is to think about all the little... We think about the capital O occupations, the jobs, usually, you know, Mm -hmm. the stuff that keeps us busy. And we do spend a lot of time on our jobs, but it's also all the little things that stitch together your day that kind of derive how you spend your time and whether you're happy with how you've spent that time.
0: It's something to think about because if we're not spending our time doing things that we value or engaged in the pursuit of things that we value... That's a yikes. <laughs> so, yeah, and I'll leave you that with that word. It's a yikes. It's a yikes. <laughs> um, yeah, I think about that. Lindsay, uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast this month. And uh, where can people find you if they're interested to learn more about what you do or follow you in any way on the internet?
2: So you can check out my website, www.otgainesville.org. Uh, which will take you to my business page, but also has some resources and other information about occupational therapy in general. If you're interested in learning more about the profession of occupational therapy and whether occupational therapy could be something that maybe helps you to arrive at a place where you understand your values and your vision and your daily routines a little bit better, you can check out aota.org, which is the American Occupational Therapy Association website. And they have a ton of resources to help explain a little bit more about what OT is.
0: Do you have any Facebooks or Instagrams or any of that kind of stuff? Oh,
2: see, I'm not the best social media person. But yes, on Facebook, you can find me at LCS Occupational Therapy. Uh, And I believe there's an Instagram, but one of my interns (laughs) ran it. And I will tell you the last time I tried to access it, I sent her a screenshot of my desktop computer and said, I cannot figure out how to post. And she said, Honey, you can't do that on the desktop. <laughs> where so, do we even start? That's about where I left exactly. the Instagram handle. <laughs> where to begin? Yes. So. Okay.
1: Gotcha. Fair.
0: Uh, well, thank you again for being a part of the podcast. This, Thanks for having This episode. Me. And we'll see you all next month.
1: Bye. Thanks, Lens. Bye. We're alive like this place. Memories won't fade away.
0: Our theme song is This Place by the band Gleason. Stream it wherever you listen to music under their former band name, Stereo RV. This podcast was recorded at Pulp Arts in Gainesville, Florida, and our recording engineer was Lily Ruxtell. For more from Taylor, follow her on social media platforms by searching Guts and Glory GNV. And for more from me, follow me on social media by searching Brandon Telg.